You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. You know, typically we, you know, whenever we talk about a church, you know, or, 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 or a, 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 a place of worship, you know, what do we call it? We, we call it a, a house of God, right? Well, this morning the Apostle Paul tells us that, 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 that the house of God is, is not a temple, it's, it's not a building, but rather you are the house of God. Now, with that, however, I think we do well to remember the warning in Psalm 127, verse 1, where it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Now, I bring that up because uh, the the Corinthian church, this ancient church in the city of Corinth, this was a church that in many ways was building in vain. They were laboring in vain. Now, why, why do I say that? Well, because this was a church that, that, that they were busy, they, they were active, and they were very, very spiritual. I mean, they had, they had all the spiritual gifts, and yet all their activity, all their busyness, all their spirituality was, was all for nothing. It was, it was all in vain, because as we saw two weeks ago, this was a carnal church. That is, this was a fleshly church. We saw that really they, they had taken the solid foundation that Paul had laid for them, and they were adding to it things like worldly wisdom and, 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 and the philosophy of the day. And so because they took that foundation and then added those things to it, we would say they were building in vain. And so now on that note, as we pick it back up in verse 9 through 11, Paul first of all reminds them about their foundation, reminds them what their foundation is. He says again in verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the, to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So first of all, the Apostle Paul, uh, referring to himself, said that he was a skilled master builder. Builder. In other words, he's saying that, that he was not the foundation of the church. He was just the one who laid the foundation of the church. He was the builder, not the foundation. In fact, the, that, that, that phrase master builder comes from the Greek term architekton. We get the word architect from it. Now, now listen, a modern day architect versus an ancient architect back in that day, they were two different things. You know, for example, a modern day architect is the one who, who draws it up, right? They, they draft it. They, they're, they're the ones who, who design the building. They, they, they draw the blueprints for it. They draw up the blueprints. That's a modern day architect, but, but an ancient architect back in that day, they were not the ones who drafted and drew it up. Rather, an ancient architect was really the superintendent of the building process, the building project. We, we, in our modern vernacular, we, we, we might call them the GC, the, the general contractor. Now, so if you're familiar with construction, then you know that, that it's the general contractor's job to, to make sure that all the other contractors are doing their jobs, right? And so he's the one who, who makes sure that, that, the, that, the, that the plumbers and the electrical crew and the, and the, and the HVAC team and the, and, and the drywallers, that they're, that they're all doing their job, that they're all doing their part, and that, and that they're all on task, and they're, and they're all on time, and that they're all within budget. So that's the GC's job, the general contractor's job. And that was the job of the ancient architecton, the, 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 the master builder. And so Paul says that he was the skilled master builder. Now the word skilled can be translated expert or credentialed. In other words, he's saying, you know, I'm not an unlicensed contractor. He's saying I'm a credentialed, I'm a skilled contractor. And listen, the truth is, is that a building project is, is only as good as the contractor who's building it, right? 
I mean, if you've got a shoddy contractor, chances are you're going to have a shoddy project. You know, I mean, you know, if you hire somebody and, and you're going to build your dream home, but you got a shoddy contractor, then chances are your dream home has become a nightmare. Am I right? And so Paul says that, that, that you know, he, he was credentialed. He's an expert. He's a skilled master builder. In other words, the problem was not with the worker who laid the foundation. Rather, the problem was with the Corinthians, the Corinthian church. Now remember, over the last few weeks, we, we've seen that, that the problem in the church of Corinth is that they had sort of this, this cult of personality thing going on where, 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 where they had all these fragment groups, these, these splinter groups where, where one group was saying, you know what, I'm of Paul, and another group said, I'm of Apollos, and, and another group said, I'm of Peter. And so they were split, they, they were fragmented, and, and, and really this shows us that their problem was that they were making man their foundation and not Jesus as their foundation. I am of this man, I am of that man. They were making man their foundation and not Jesus. In fact, this reminds me of Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of the, of the Calvary Chapel movement. And, and, for, and for the last several years be, 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 before his life ended and he went home to be with the Lord, he, he would year after year at these senior pastors' conferences express the concern in his heart that one day we would make the movement of Calvary Chapel all about the man, Chuck Smith. And, and he was afraid that that was going to happen, and he would warn us repeatedly to, to avoid that. In fact, one year, back in 2004, uh, he got up and, and warned us against what he called the four M's. The four M's. Now, the four M's would be, would be man, movement, monument, and mausoleum. Man, movement, monument, mausoleum. And, and Pastor Chuck, you know, pointed out how, how any time there, there was a great move of God, any kind of a, a movement, you know, maybe like the Great Awakening of old or, or the Welsh Revival or even the Jesus movement of the 1960s and 70s. But whenever where there was this great movement, typically what would happen is, is God would raise up a man and, a, and, and the Holy Spirit would anoint that man and, and use that man and, and, and suddenly things would happen. You know, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions would, would come to Christ and, and all of a sudden a movement was born. And, 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 and there's this movement that takes place, but then what happens is then when the man that God raised up, the, the leader of that movement dies, well, then the people who are still in that movement try to keep the movement going by making a monument to the man. They, they, they want to see the movement still happen, so they, 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 they raise up the man. And, 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 and what happens inevitably, whenever you raise up the man, then, then that's the death nail. Suddenly, that's when it becomes a mausoleum. That's when the movement begins to die. When you make it about the man that God raised up rather than the God who is raising up that man, the movement begins to die. And that was Chuck's greatest concern because Pastor Chuck understood that, that, that the foundation of the Jesus movement wasn't Chuck Smith. No, the foundation of the G Jesus movement was Jesus. That's why it's called the Jesus movement. So in the same way, what's the foundation of the church? Well, you may remember a, a conversation between the Apostle Peter and, and Jesus. And, and, and when, when Peter confessed to Jesus and he said in Matthew 16, verse 16, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus responds to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And Jesus says, and also I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now listen, the, the, you know, he said on this rock, I will build my church. 
Now, there's always a little bit of confusion when it comes to this because we all know that the name Peter is, the Greek term Petros, it means rock. Actually, it means pebble. So what he said was on this pebble. <laughs> you are Peter, you're the pebble, but on this rock, I will build my church. So what is the rock? Now, a lot of times we think that Peter was the rock that Jesus was going to build his church on. But listen, if you understand the context, the context tells us that, that Peter was not the rock. Jesus is the rock. You see, it was the statement that Peter had made. It was, it was, it was Peter's proclamation, Peter's confession. When Peter, said, when Peter said, Jesus, you are the Christ, Jesus then responds and says, Peter, on that statement... On that proclamation, on the very confession that just came out of your mouth, when you said, I am the Christ, that's what I'm going to build my church on. That statement that Jesus is the Christ is the foundation of the church. That's the rock. And so now in the same way, the Apostle Paul wanted the Corinthians to know, and likewise, he wants you and I to know that the Apostle Paul was not the foundation. Apollos wasn't the foundation. In fact, for that matter, Chuck Smith is not the foundation. Paul Bhutan is not the foundation. Now listen, the foundation is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And if anything other than Jesus Christ is your foundation, then you're building on a faulty foundation. And so first of all, Paul reminds them that they have a firm foundation, a solid foundation that Jesus Christ was their foundation. And now, verses 12 through 15, now he talks about the building materials that they were using, that, that, that they were adding to this foundation. Verse 12, <coughs> pardon me, that's from the Greek. It means allergy season. Um, Verse 12, now if, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because each will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work anyone has done is built on, uh, on the foundation and it survives, he'll, be, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer a loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So now, in verse 12, basically Paul's giving us a list of building materials. When he says things like gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Now, when you look at this list, however, this is not just a list of, of, of building materials in general, but rather this seems to be a list of the building materials specifically for the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem. Now, by the way, when I say the temple in Jerusalem, originally that was built by Solomon, but then later on that temple was destroyed, so then it was rebuilt under Ezra and Nehemiah, but then that temple got partially destroyed, and so then later on, Herod uh, rebuilt it as well. But when Herod rebuilt it, he used inferior building supplies. He, he made it a little bit larger than the original, and, and he used inferior building supplies. And so you've got, you've got Solomon's temple, and then you've got Herod's temple. But when we go back to the Old Testament, we go back to 1 Chronicles, we see that King David knew that his son Solomon would one day build the temple. And so David started storing up and setting aside the building supplies that his son Solomon would need. And so it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 14, we have a very similar list of building materials. It says, Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord. 100,000 talents of gold, uh, a million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure, for, for, for it's so abundant, and I have prepared timber and stone also. 
So now what we have here is, is, is things like gold and, and there are precious stones, jewels. And, and so that would be you know, for, for the, the, the decorations of the temple. But in addition to the decorations of the temple, there were also quality building materials like, 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 like solid marble, solid granite. Now, by the way, uh, I should point out that in those ancient days, a common practice uh, to, when, when you were building, a common practice to, to save money and to save time is that rather than go through all of the expense and, and all of the trouble to quarry marble and quarry uh, granite, instead, sometimes what they would do is they would build a much cheaper composite brick. Now, this composite brick would have, been made, would have been made out of mud, but then in that mud, they would mix in, you know, hay and straw and sometimes weeds. Because when you, when you take the, the mud and then you mix in the hay and the straw and, and, and it hardens, those, those fibers make it stronger. Those fibers reinforce it. And so they, they would make this, and, and, and it was this composite brick, and, and you know, con- conventional wisdom would say, hey, it's just as strong, but you know what? It's easier to make, and it's quicker, and, it, and it's cheaper. So we can save both time and money. In fact, we can probably make a little bit of money. And, you know, and so they, they would make these, these cheaper composite bricks. But when you study First Chronicles, and, and, and you see that, that God was telling Solomon to build the temple, it was very clear that God was, was, was very specific that Solomon would follow a specific plan and not cut any corners, not take any shortcuts. So instead of using the cheap composite bricks, Solomon would, would, would go to the quarry, and, 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 and he would get the stone, he would get the marble, he would get the granite. And by the way, there is a difference between solid granite, solid marble versus these composite bricks. The difference is one's flammable and the other is not. You see, although the, the, the bricks made out of mud might not burn, the hay and the, and, and, the, and the straw inside of them could burn. They were flammable. That's important because later on in history when the Roman Empire came on the scene, any time that they would conquer and overtake a fortress... They understood that because some of these cultures would use these cheap composite bricks made out of mud with, with straw and, and hay inside of them, they, what would they do to, to conquer them? They would just set them on fire. So they understood that the hay would catch on fire and would cause the bricks to, to come undone and, and they would just crumble. The walls would crumble. In fact, what's interesting, in the year 70 AD, when the Roman general Titus came into Jerusalem and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem, how did he do it? Well, he understood that Herod was using cheap composite bricks with, with, with straw inside of them. So he set them on fire and they came tumbling down. And so the Apostle Paul now is, is, is using uh, the, the building materials of the temple. Both Solomon's temple that used quality building materials and Herod's temple that used cheap building materials. And so Paul's using the, the building materials of the temple as sort of a metaphor to describe the church in Corinth, the, the, the city of the Corinthians. And, and what he's saying is that, you know what? He, Paul, laid, laid down a solid foundation for them. The, the, the church was built on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. But after Paul left, well, then they started adding inferior building materials to Paul's foundation that he laid. They added you know, cheaper materials. You know, they, they were adding things like, like the philosophy of the world. And they were saying, hey, you know what? Uh, the, the only way we're going to reach the, the sophisticated Greek people who live in the city of Corinth is to be as sophisticated as they are. And so we can't just preach a simple gospel. We can't preach the offensive message of the cross. We've got to add to it the philosophy of the world. We've got to be sophisticated to reach the sophisticated. 
So they were adding inferior building products. Now, not only that, but later on, as we read the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to see that, that evidently the, the leadership in that church, they, they, they started to allow drunkenness and, and, and homosexuality and even incest into the church. Now, you know, nowadays, uh, there's a lot of churches that are embracing so, what, what, what is called progressive Christianity. This, this whole idea that, that, you know, what you're doing is, is, is you're taking the solid foundation of the gospel, but then you're adding to it uh, inferior materials of, 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 of same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria or this thing or that thing. And, and listen, the, the hope, what, what, what the hope is, is, is that you're going to create a safe space for people who feel marginalized, people who feel hurt and, and, and victimized. Listen, the, the, by the way, the heart behind that, there's nothing wrong with the heart behind that. Listen, it's a good thing to want to love people who've been hurt. It's a good thing to want to, to, to help people who want to have been hurt. But, but Paul's point here is this. Paul's saying, you know what? It doesn't matter how solid your foundation is. Even if you have a solid, firm foundation, if you keep adding inferior building materials to it, then what's going to happen is that sooner or later, that building is going to come tumbling down when the wildfires of life come raging against it. When the economy collapses, when, when there's wars that are breaking out, when there's social unrest, when, 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 when there's political hostility, whatever the fire is, when those fires come, if you've been adding anything that's weak and inferior to the solid foundation of Christ, then even though it was a solid foundation, the building was weak and it's going to come tumbling down. And so the Corinthian church, they had a solid foundation. Paul laid the foundation, but they were adding inferior building materials. They were adding world's philosophy, the world's way of thinking. And so now Paul, he, he, he now, in verse 16, now talks about the temple. He, he, he reminded them of their foundation. He, he corrects their, their, their building materials. And now in verse 16, the temple, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And so here's the whole point that Paul's been building up to. Paul's whole point is, is, yeah, you know what? You need a solid foundation, and I gave you that. You, Jesus Christ is your foundation. But, but on top of that, you need good building materials. But now he brings it home, and he's like, you know what? I'm not talking about a literal building. I'm not talking about the actual temple in Jerusalem. He says, I'm talking about you. He says, you are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And so he's saying is, you know, your life has to be solid. Your life has to be intact. You, you, you have a solid foundation, and, and, and now Jesus is in your life, but now you've got to build on that, and it's got to be solid. Of course, you know, that reminds us of, of, of something that Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 7, a parable that he told in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, when Jesus said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and, they did, and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So this is an interesting parable as Jesus kind of describes two different guys and, and on the surface, they, they kind of look the same. You know, maybe, maybe they lived in the same neighborhood and, and you know, and, and maybe they even had a, kind of like the same floor plan. You know, kind of like one of these, 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 these tract home subdivisions where, where every house basically looks the same and, you know, everybody's yard basically looks the same. And, and, and so on the outside, everything looks the same, but, uh, but on the underneath, there's one very big difference and that is the foundation. 
One house was built on the firm foundation of solid rock. The other house was built on the shaky foundation, the faulty foundation of shifty sand. And of course, the contrast here that Jesus is making is the contrast between a believer versus a non-believer, a Christian versus a non-Christian. And the idea is that, listen, on the surface, yeah, you, you might look the same. But when, when the storms of life come beating against you, each pounding blow is going to reveal what your life was really built on. And listen to this. The life that was built on Jesus Christ is a life that's built to last. But a life that was not built on Jesus Christ, that's the person who in the storms of life, when the, when the rains fall, that person comes tumbling down. They were building on a faulty foundation. And so now again, as we pick it up again in verse 16, down to the end of the chapter, Paul's making it clear that he's not talking about an actual building. He's talking about you. He says, you are the church. Again, verse 16, do you not know that that you are God's temple, that, that, that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly to God, for it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast of men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or, or Cephas, or the world, or life or death, or, or, or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Now, two different times, once in verse 16, and then again at the end of verse 17, the Apostle Paul says that you are the temple. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. You are the temple. Now, however, what we do not see in our English translations of this is that in the original Greek, when it says that you are the temple, the word you is in the plural. It's kind of like down in the south. Y'all, all y'all. He's saying all y'all are the temple. All y'all are, are the church. In other words, the picture is, is that the church is much bigger than just you individually. You as, a, as an individual. The idea is, is that, you know what? All of you, all y'all gathered together are the temple. All of you, you know, gathered together are, are the church. But listen, individually, you, you're just a, 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 an individual brick. But corporately, when you're gathered together, you are the church. So in other words, the church is not a building made out of brick and mortar. No, no. The church is the people of God knit together by the Spirit of God. That's the church. In fact, the Apostle Peter uses basically the same word picture himself. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Peter says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now notice, Peter didn't say that you are a spiritual house. He said you are a living stone. But that together with the rest of the living stones, you are built up into a spiritual house. You're a living stone. You know, it reminds, reminds me of the king of Sparta. And how on one occasion there was a visitor and, and, and the king of Sparta kept bragging about the walls of Sparta. But the visitor looked around and, and there wasn't a wall in sight. He was like, what walls? And so the, the king of Sparta said, you know what? Every man in Sparta is a brick. And then he pointed to his soldiers, his army, and he said, these are the walls of Sparta. In the same way, why does Peter call us living stones? 
Well, it's a reminder. It reminds us how, how vital it is for us to be linked together. Just like one brick has to be locked together with another brick and then another brick and another to form a wall and then eventually to form a whole house, the whole temple. And so in the same way, listen, we need to be locked together one to another and to another. And so ultimately, it's a reminder to us how important it is for us to gather together. And just like the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, when it says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The day means, means the end times. As you see that we're getting closer and closer to the end times, that should motivate you not to isolate, but to congregate. But, but, but Peter's recognizing that, you know, our tendency is we have a tendency to get out of the habit of meeting together. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, don't get out of that habit. Stay in the habit of meeting together. Now, I mentioned that, you know, Amy and I, we were at the pastor's and pastor's wife's conference last week. And, and when we were there, in a lot of ways, that was a reminder for us why it's so important to gather together. Now, listen, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, for, for a lot of people, they'll say, you know, what, what do you guys do at these pastor's conferences? Well, what we do is talk about you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, really, for us, it's like going to church. I mean, it's just, you know, we get to go to church like, like for a handful of days in a row. I, listen, I don't know if you know this, but, but going to church for you and going to church for me are two different things. I mean, you go to church, you get to sit and just bask in it, just kind of soak it all up. You know, but for me, it's more like a work release program. And so, so you know, uh, so once a year, we, we get to do what you guys get to do every Sunday of the year. And so, you know, once a year, we get to go, we can sit together, we can hold hands during church. You know, she can elbow me in the ribs, like, you know, God's talking to you, you know, and, you know, and just, you know, but we get to go to church, and so, you know, for us, we, we go there, and, and it was just so refreshing, and yet it was a timely reminder of just, of just how important it is to gather together. You know, think about things like, like in-person worship. Listen, there's just something special about, about being able to just gather together with, with the rest of the body and just sing to the Lord. You know, it's not like singing in your car, you know, you know with, with Caleb or whatever. You know, Caleb, you know, it's just, you know, but it's like when you gather together, there's just something there. It's like you can almost feel the Lord's presence inhabiting the praises of his people. And listen, you don't get that on your iPad or, or on your large screen TV, even with surround sound. You know, it's, it's hard to capture the full essence of real in-person worship without being in person to really worship. You know, or, or think about community, you know, friendship, fellowship, you know, just, just connecting with people. I mean, it was just so refreshing for Amy and I to, to connect to people that, that we love and, and care about. We haven't seen them for a while and just connect and, and just kind of get reacquainted and just make those connections again. Listen, that, that doesn't happen online. I mean, it doesn't happen on a screen. I mean, listen, that fist bump emoji does not replace real community, right? You know, or, or prayer. I don't mean the little, you know, praying, praying hands icon, little emoji. I mean, actually praying. Somebody actually putting their hand on you and praying for you, physically touching you. So we're at the conference and, and we were able to pray for a, a couple that was struggling. And, and then later on at the conference, uh, another couple prayed for us. And it was just so encouraging. You know, and then in, you know, and gathering together, you know, just in, in person. I mean, one of the other benefits is, is things like air conditioning. I mean, listen, it's going to be 100 degrees today and we've got air conditioning. Of course, you're thinking, yeah, but we have it year round. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> But it's just, you know, just, just this benefit of just gathering together. And so in the same way, the Apostle Paul was, was reminding the Corinthian church that, that together, they're the temple of God. Together, they are the church. 
Now, why was he reminding them that together they're the church? Because if you remember the context of the book of 1 Corinthians, they were anything but together. This, this, this was a, a fragmented church. This was a divided church, a divisive church. And so really, in many ways, they weren't living stones joined together. No, they were just a, a pile of individual bricks. And so in effect, Paul's saying, hey, listen, you guys need to get together. You guys need unity again. You guys need to be the church. You need to be the body of Christ. And, and you become the body when you're gathered together as a body. As, as a church, when you're linked together. And so in many ways, I think the Apostle Paul's message for the ancient church in Corinth is just as relevant for the modern church today. In fact, there's a Christian sociologist by the name of Thomas Rayner. He has a group called Church Answers. This is a group that will go nationwide, and, and all they do is study trends in the church, trends in Christianity. So nationwide, they've been doing the study, and, and they found what they call a new category of Christian. A new category of Christian. This new category, they label it goners. The goners. Now, what's a goner? Well, a goner is somebody who used to be a vital part of church life, you know, and, 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 and they were plugged in. They were vital. They were, they were connected, and now all of a sudden, they are gone. And, and, and Thomas Rayner and his group, they've identified four, sometimes five stages to watch out for that will warn you that you're becoming a goner. Four stages at least. Uh, stage number one, the first stage that, that, that you're becoming a goner is that you attend church less frequently. You know, maybe you used to be the kind of person that was there three, maybe even four times a week, but now you're lucky if you can even make it once a month. I said three or four times a week, three or four times a month. You're like, three or four times a week? How long is this place open? Um, you, you were there three or four times a month, and now you're lucky if you can get there once a month. Listen, be warned, be careful. That's the first stage. That's the first warning that you're on the verge of becoming a goner. Stage number two is resigning from ministry positions. You know, uh, maybe, they, maybe they used to teach a class or, 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 or they were an usher or they helped out with worship or they did this or they did that and then they stepped down from that position. And, and Thomas Rayner and his group point out that, that whenever that happens, they always uh, cite a, a, a vague reason. It's not really specific, it's just vague. They'll say something like, you know, it's family reasons. It's personal reasons. And, and then that leads to stage three, and that is they stop giving, they stop tithing. I mean, after all, Jesus said, where your heart is, your treasure will follow. And so if your heart's not in it anymore, neither is your checkbook. And then that leads to stage four, which is that they're simply gone. But when they leave, when, when they're gone, nobody wants to leave a church and, 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 and make themselves look like they're not spiritual. And so they always leave for a quote-unquote good reason, a, a spiritual-sounding reason. And, and, and Thomas Rayner and his group found nationwide the number one reason people give when they, when they leave is they say, well, we're just not being fed anymore. And reason number two, they'll say, well, the church doesn't have any ministries for our children or for our teenagers anymore. They're not being fed. Those are the top two reasons that goners leave as they exit and they're gone. And so nationwide, they're noticing this trend of people dropping out of church, leaving the church, pulling away. In fact, survey after survey shows that, that people uh, pull away from church for a number of different reasons. But among the top reasons people pull away from church is that perhaps there was a toxic or unhealthy uh, culture within that church that was causing division and infighting in the church. 
So you show up for a Bible study and you think you're going to get encouraged. You're going to hear a fresh word from God. Maybe somebody will pray for you. But instead you show up to this group and it turns into this, this, this big fight about politics or about this conspiracy or about that thing or this other. And, 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 and you go there and all of a sudden you feel like going to the house of worship, going to the house of God no longer feels like a safe space. It feels like a place where you're going to get hurt. So you pull away. You, you, you don't go anymore. Instead, you start saying things like, well, you know what? I don't need to go to church to worship God. I mean, the Bible says I'm the temple. The Bible says I'm the church. The, 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 the Holy Spirit of God dwells in me. So you know what? I can stay home and, and have devotions with God and, and get close to God that way. Well, now I understand that. And that might be true. But I think one social commentator hit it on the head when he said, rarely does decreased attendance produce increased devotion. It's usually the other way around. Decreased attendance is showing that you have decreased devotion as well. One il illustrates the other. Now, experts also point out that COVID, uh, the last couple of years, is it has done a number on the church. In fact, depending on the study that you look at, but, but anywhere between 54% to as much as 65% of Christians have not returned to in-person church services. 54 to, to, to 65%. Now, obviously, that's none of you in this room. You're here. <laughs> you know, and, and you're, you're in person. But, 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 you know, since COVID, you know, things have changed. Now, in fact, frankly, many of us have just gotten out of the habit. It's just become convenient. Now, listen, when, 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 the, when the pandemic first started, when, when the pandemic first broke out, I mean, at first, it, it seemed like, like online church was a blessing, Right? I mean, you know, the pandemic broke out and, and we had no choice. I mean, things were shut down. We couldn't do anything else but log in. And yet it seemed like we were all so faithful. We, we were at home and yet even though we were not together, we were together. We were all doing it. We were, we were logged in. We were on it. But then little by little, things started to wane. Things changed little by little. Listen, if, if you're online this morning, by the way, let me just point out, I, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm, you know, maybe you're at work and, and you're playing hooky for work for, for an hour or so just to go to church. You know, I'm thankful for that. Or maybe you're on vacation and you found a hot spot you, and, and you're logging in to go to church. You know what? Thank God for you. You know, or, or maybe you're sick and you, you can't be here, but you're still getting online. You know what? We're thankful that we have the technology that you can do that. However, I, I, I do agree with this warning from a pastor named uh, Kerry Newoff when, when he said, for some people, online church is a step into church, but for many more, it's a step out of church. Hey, be careful that online church doesn't accidentally take you out of church. You know, think about it. Online church should be kind of like online dating. Listen, you know, when, when people meet online, that's, that's okay. That's a good thing. It's okay for people to meet online. But listen, nobody gets married online. You don't have like a virtual spouse. You know, listen, marriage is, is an in-person relationship, right? And in the same way, listen, the Bible says that you are the bride of Christ. Not the online date of Christ. He doesn't think you can go, oh, swipe left. <laughs> You're the bride of Christ. It's, it's an in-person relationship. And so I think the lesson for, for, for us is, is that just as the Corinthians needed to get back together, you know what? You and I, we need to get back together. Listen, I understand that for some of you, the wisest thing right now is not to get together. You know, maybe you've got some health considerations. Maybe, maybe you're undergoing cancer treatment or you've got a weakened immune system or, or maybe you're a, a shut-in and you can't get out. Well, then I'm thankful that we have the technology that even though you cannot get to us, we can get to you. 
Or again, like I said, maybe you're just on vacation and I'm thankful that, that you can still connect to us even though you're not here and, and, and you're getting refreshed on that vacation. That's a great thing. But, you know, I mentioned a minute ago, but, you know, I've talked to people and I'm sure you have too. I've talked to many people who, who, who've admitted that they've just gotten out of the habit of coming to church. They got into a new habit. You know, or I've talked to people who, who, who've admitted that, that, you know, the reason they're not coming is because the last time they came, the, the culture was toxic. You know, arguments broke out, you know, and, and they got hurt. Listen, by the way, if, if that's you, if that happened to you, can I just say I'm sorry that that happened to you? But just remember this. It's been well said that, that wherever the body is, there's going to be body odor, okay? I mean, so we're the body of Christ, and, and as the body of Christ, we bump into each other. Things happen. You know, body life is messy, but it's also necessary. It's necessary. You know, and so maybe you're the kind of person that says, well, you know, I, I'm a Christian, but, but I just don't like going to church. Now listen, you are the church, and, and you need the church, and the church needs you. The Bible says we are living stones, and living stones are meant to be joined together with other living stones. That's what makes us the body. Amen? Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.